A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Will Summer, and welcome to The Daily Beast Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast. My book on QAnon, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America, will be available in February and is available for pre-order now. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Welcome back to Fever Dreams. I'm Will Summer, joined as always by Kelly. Kelly, I have to say, I cannot believe I missed last week's episode. It was an opportunity to discuss Ron DeSantis putting game. Absolutely. It was so good to talk about putting fingers, Ron. I'm really sorry you had to miss it. I think it's one of the most like talked about things. Everybody I strike up a conversation with wants to talk about putting fingers, Ron. And it's just something that I get to keep for myself. Got the sticky hands. <laughs> it's very tactile to think about. It's almost like an ASMR thing. Squish, squish, squish. It definitely is. It's like a slime video on TikTok. <laughs> Just get the fingers in the chocolate pudding and kind of squish it around. If it doesn't work out with the governorship, he can always be one of those people who like, yeah, like reviews pudding or whatever. <laughs> a million followers. Okay, well, Kelly, first up on the agenda, people are still we're dealing with the aftermath of the Nashville shooting. A alleged shooter being trans is provoking this huge right wing backlash against trans people. And there is this is the sort of the example of something that they can they say, OK, this shooting we can politicize immediately after. As we wait to see as that develops, I wanted to flag another gun related thing that happened on Monday. This sort of like this bizarre incident where the ATF was inspecting a gun store in Georgia and Marjorie Taylor Greene and some other members of Congress sort of got in the way and started questioning the ATF. Did you have a chance to take a look at this? Yeah, I did. And it's a really weird video. It's sort of a standoff in the parking lot. Looks like Marjorie Taylor Greene is trying to speak to the manager of the ATF. But what's really interesting here is that this isn't like some weird overstep of their cracking down on a gun store. This is a really routine visit by a federal agency that goes into gun stores and says, hey, is everything in order here? Cool, thanks. Instead of letting that continue unimpeded, I think everyone can agree that helps with a safe gun registration. Can they agree, though? Can everyone agree? Clearly not. (laughs) Clearly not. Because what should be one of the most bipartisan, hey, we're cool with this procedures, not cool with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is chucking a bit of a fit in a parking lot. This gets at something. And the reason I wanted to flag this is because so she posted this video on Monday, as this news of the shooting was coming out, obviously tasteless there. The interesting thing to me about this is it sort of dovetails with her her whole thing with the D.C. jail. And it's like, I'm going to go to the jail and hector the jail employees and say, act like members of Congress have an ability to sort of interfere with whatever law enforcement they like. But it also kind of dovetails with the national divorce thing. So the Adventure Outdoors is this massive gun store and outdoor store in Georgia. My sense is it's like the big pyramid outdoor store in Los Vegas. That's right. Just one of these massive things. And so in this video, she's questioning the spokesman for the ATF. She's saying, look, number one, it's unfair that this wasn't announced. Now, typically, surprise inspection, that's kind of the point, right? But we'll set that aside. The other grievance is that the ATF agents, many of them, were not from Georgia. Now, you might say... 
that's the whole point of a federal government, right? I have not heard of this grievance like since the Civil War. This idea that this only homegrown federal agent, it's crazy. Yeah. So what she's saying to this agent is she says, these aren't Georgia agents. These are coming from blue states, which, hate to tell you, Marjorie, you got two Democratic senators. You're in a blue state, in a purple. That's a great point. Yeah. But there's this idea that you're not from around these parts, right? You can't come into my state and enforce federal or state laws. And she's not the only one doing this. I reported last week on very bit player and Virginia politics, but a figure named Marie March. She's a state representative. She was actually, she won office after going to the pre-riot rally on January 6th. And she is fundraising off this proposed legislation where she's going to make it illegal to enforce gun law. She's going to, I guess, arrest people at the border for trying to come in and serve a warrant on a federal firearms case, something like that. So you are right to point out that it dovetails with this national divorce idea because it's trying to draw these very red-blue lines where we all have the same laws in this country. I mean, there is a lot of language about red states and blue states. And we'll get into this a little bit later with a Benny Johnson thing later in the episode. But there's this kind of like blue states should not be allowed to, I guess, like, well, and of course, I mean, she's also advocated for people who move from blue states to red states to lose their votes for a period of time. So she says, she's talking to this federal agent, she says, it's not normal to be out of state. 16 of them, and most of them are out of state. She's referring here to the ATF agents. And this guy is like, right, it's a federal agency. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yes, that's their deal. She was saying, oh, they're from California. She tweeted, the sheer amount of agents from the bluest parts of the country is unusual and unnecessary. I just wanted to flag this because it does seem like this just a new line of attack that's being developed and one that sort of has no rationale previously behind it. But I think if you get enough people to complain about it, if you get on Tucker to complain about it, I think we could see this argument developing. Again, it reminds me of the DC jail thing because you get some of this like, whoa, this jail isn't so nice. No kidding, right? And so suddenly this becomes this, you're able to create this controversy out of nothing. In this case, I think it really plays into this red state, blue state thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if she wants to have it that way, well, you shouldn't send red state protesters to a heavily democratic city on January 6th to Try break to into their our government. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If I could just flag sort of a, this is heavy stuff here. This is serious. We're talking about national divorce, whatever. If I could just flag sort of a more salacious angle to this. The video of this was posted by R Brian Glenn who is a quote-unquote reporter for Right Side Broadcasting News. And people may know Right Side Broadcasting as the online video operation that films Trump rallies and is sort of the most reliable place to find Trump rallies online and as well as does a like a 12-hour pre-broadcast. And if people have seen their clips, it's probably because, I was tweeting about this over the weekend, they're a great source for videos of RSBN employees who understand that they do not want to be, for example, saying QAnon is real on air. <laughs> They've gotten in, in trouble with Mike Lindell because it would cut him off when he started talking about Dominion, for example. And so they're talking to people and they are, I mean, this is like the cream of the crop in terms of Trump devotion and mania. And so they'll have these videos where someone will say like, oh, why do you like Trump so much? And they'll say, well, I actually was speaking to an angel in my dreams. <laughs> and I believe he is the second coming of King Cyrus. And indeed, he will cover the land with Democrats blood. <laughs> And the RSBN anchor has to say, wow, it's kind of like me when I'm interviewing these people. And I just have to say, well, I certainly never thought of it that way. <laughs> Very interesting. But the reason I'm saying this is because Brian Glenn is dating Marjorie Taylor Greene. And we know this from reporting from the Daily Mail, the sort of a deranged thing they did, sending a paparazzi to Rome, Georgia to follow them around. So this guy, I mean, this is kind of like, I'm surprised to find there's gambling going on here or whatever. But there is this idea of like this journalistic integrity. This guy's covering his girlfriend. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, it's nice actually to see Marjorie Taylor Greene love the press for once, so I'm not going to challenge it. <laughs>
That's great. Okay, now, Kelly, you've got an update for us from one of Fever Dream's most important niche topics. I speak, of course, of conservative music, and in particular, conservative rap. I hear there's a hot new publication. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, we like to give people the hottest new pro-Trump rap tracks to put on their Spotify playlist. The ins and outs of Forgiato Blows, Fast Life. We like to give them their flowers. Absolutely. So there's uh, exciting new developments in the scene. There's a lot of far-right hype for a publication called The American Beat, which is a new right-wing media music site. It's calling itself a music magazine that rejects wokeness and embraces free speech. Now, I don't want to, like, overhype this one because I've spent more time than is due on their website, and I can't find any evidence that they have more than one blogger who's writing about the second and a half grade level. But I think it's a good concept. And I want to say that for professional reasons, even though it's probably bad for the country, I professionally don't mind having a website that compiles all the latest yes. tracks by Forgiato Blow, maybe the new fire from J.R. Majewski, who might maybe he'll return to his rap career having lost his congressional race. But the site even drops that back. It doesn't even have that. A lot of these stories are kind of, they remind me of like, if you're ever in a supermarket and they've got all these magazine covers that are basically like the People magazine special. Hey, Hey, remember Hank Williams? Wasn't he great? It's like, it's stuff like that. And where they do get into the new tunes, sort of the new generation of conservative rapper, which is what I'm on the site for, the writing is, it's not quite pitchfork here. They have a review of a new song celebrating the homemakers, the trad wives. And Kelly, what is this song called? This song is called Homemakers Clean. I don't know if that's like an imperative statement or just a description. <laughs> Homemakers, you clean. Hey, this gonna be your wifey favorite song. You providing that work and she take care of the home. And she homeschooling, teaching your children was right or wrong. Instead of letting the government turn them into clones. Hey, two parents working there who raising the children. And Nation programs is where you choosing to send them. And I know it's not on purpose, but it's let's about having it. the joys of having a trad wife who does not leave the house and who bakes all your bread and scrubs your floors. Let's get into the music writing here. I want to do justice. They say, musically, the song has a catchy beat that makes you want to nod your head along to oh the rhythm. Oh my god, it's got a good beat you can dance to. Yeah. yeah. A bounce with a nice pentatonic upward harmonic motion accompanied by horns and bouncy drums. Now, I love this Well, that's this certainly shit. a song. <laughs> yeah, watch out, Robert Criscow. I love that it's like trying to give you musical terminology that you don't know. Pentatonic, oh my god, five notes and within using bounce twice in a sentence. Like, it's just like, it's great. It's great. Send this on to Rolling Stone. But Okay, so I follow my conservative rappers. Now my Forgiato blows. This guy, Bryson Gray, he's kind of an up-and-comer. I will say that he has a little bit better flow than some conservative rappers. Lyrically, a little challenged, but can carry a beat. But he is, of course, a collaborator with Forgiato Blow, who folks might remember as the rapper who calls himself Trump's nephew, drives around Florida in a Rolls Royce covered in, like, kind of cartoon images. And this guy, this Bryson Gray guy, really gets into the weeds of some of the less safe Avery characters. He has a video hyping up praise from Nick Fuentes. This is in November 2023 when Fuentes was fully masked off with the Nazi stuff. These are the leading luminaries of the conservative music scene. They've got a ways to go before they're really on the Grammy stage. If I could just riff a little bit on Bryson Gray. I mean, this is a guy, I'm not quite up on who's up and who's down in conservative media, but my sense is that Forgiato Blow like wishes he had Bryson Gray's career. I think Forgiato is seen as something of a joker, but Bryson is a true lyricist. <laughs> 
a poet in many ways. And so Bryson is a guy who's really well networked within the far right. And but it's sort of interesting because he's been in the news a little bit already because he, I guess, has been a bit agnostic on Trump and DeSantis. And so as a result, I think he was going to perform it at some pro-Trump function. And then Trump supporters got him kicked off or got the event canceled because they said, oh, this is a DeSantis guy. And so that was a recent saga. The other thing I noticed, Bryson is in a bit of a quandary here because, as you said, He's a guy who's kind of networked with Nick Fuentes, all these other guys. But Bryson is black. And so you might say that there's a difficulty here. And this is be- this has been coming up because people may have noticed Twitter, some other sites, particularly if you follow anyone on the right, the algorithm has really been overwhelmed by videos, some of them years, years old, of black-on-white crime. The circulation of these videos is surging. And this has become like a big thing on the right is sharing these videos. And Bryson has said, hey, I don't really like this. Maybe conservative media couldn't all be about sharing these out-of-context violent clips meant to whip up racial hatred. And of course, all his one-time allies are turning on him. But I want to turn here to the lyrics of his song. Now, this song is called Homemakers Clean. It kind of recalls to me the Proud Boys, one of their tenets, which is venerate the housewife. Now, here's the song. Hey, your girl a feminist. My girl traditional. My girl conservative. Your girl a liberal. Here's the lyric that really gets them. Your girl got OnlyFans. My girl ain't sending nudes. Okay. And then finally, your girl can't cook. My girl can do it in the kitchen, too. And so they have this along with a TikTok of a woman just being like, yeah, here's my purse. Here's my kitchen. So American Beat, Kelly, what do you think? Is this going to be putting on all our new conservative rappers? Yeah, listen, I don't see the Zoomers on TikTok necessarily doing a viral dance trend to this one. Don't think it's got the juice. But listen, this site, it does seem to kind of want to be the new hub for conservative artists of all stripes, not just rappers. And they one of the first articles was about supporting patriotic artists, a guide to finding hidden gems in the music industry. So I'm like, yes, okay, cool. The Bryson Gray stuff, probably not for me, but let's find some others. And unfortunately, they didn't really live up to the promise of telling me how to find these hidden gems, right? Because I'm always looking for new ways to find terrible art. And instead of recommending how to find them, it says things like, if you want to find artists who will tickle your earbuds, look beyond the mainstream media and dive into the depths of independent and alternative sources. Well, hey, you're the independent source here. Give me that garbage. And they conclude with, in short, supporting artists is a fantastic way to show your support for the values and beliefs you hold dear. So it's like, oh, rad. The best way to support artists is by supporting them. So I think I'm going to do some fundraising for Bryson Gray and maybe start a TikTok dance trend to this sort of thing. And I think he's got a fantastic rap career ahead of him. I think the American Beat also offers us an opportunity to consider all of the conservative culture websites that have gone before it. I mean, the amount of effort that can go into these sites, it is incredibly low. Like the average Substack that has like 30 readers has more effort put into it than this website does. Yet, it's already gotten an endorsement from Jordan Peterson, who said, artists of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. <laughs> so <laughs> corny. This recalls, and Kelly, you made this connection. This recalls Culture, which was a website called Culture with Three Ts. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, I mean, this American Beat, is it going to last? No, it's not. It's got like zero likes and followers on Facebook. But it's part of a rich tradition of conservatives trying to have their own cultural powerhouses, their own alternative 
negative, edgy media, and just universally, these things fall really flat. Culture, or culture to share with three Ts, was a, I shouldn't say was, because it still exists, a right-wing digital magazine. It was hyped by the likes of Ali Alexander, Jacob Wool, Laura Loomer. There was a minute where they were really acting like this was going to be their breakthrough, right? They were going to get the kids with their edgy new visuals, that sort of thing. They were running around with video cameras saying they were going to release eye-popping new documentaries. Well, I checked in on this site because the American Beat reminded me of culture and I thought, hey, is that even still around? It is. Not that you would know about it. Kelly, I'm looking at these blog posts, though, and I'm pretty sure they just have a thing on their website that refreshes when they were published. Because if you look at them, if you look at them, they're all based on tweets from like 2019. Oh, wow. I cannot believe I gave culture more than it's due. Yeah, no, well, because I remember. So this was a website run by Ali Alexander. And this was because, I mean, it's all like about like Hong Kong and and all these things from several years ago. And so... I remember during the pandemic and he said, look, we've just said the pandemic has forced us to make new decisions about what we're doing. And it's just like, well, yeah, no one's reading this site. Anyway, so (laughs) Culture was a crazy website and all these things, it's all derives from Andrew Breitbart's Politics is Downstream of Culture, right? This one of these, the five quotes you hear inevitably at any conservative function. So these people are always like, we're going to take over the culture and these websites go for a couple months. The one thing I do want to flag about Culture is that its main blogger was a guy named Andrew Meyer. Now, Kelly, does that name sound familiar to you? Only because I'm now looking at this website and he's the pretty much the only byline on here. What horrible thing did he do that I'm about to find he out? He has about? a backstory our listeners will remember, which is he was the don't tase me bro guy. Oh. <gasps> From many, many years ago, he was the guy during some presidential campaign. He stood up at some like a speech and he said, don't tase me, bro, as he got tased. So there you go. He's a right wing guy now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, I'm so grateful for this on air correction, because now that I'm looking at it, because I was looking at I was looking at the site. I'm like, wow, man, they're talking to Scott Adams. This site is washed. It's more washed than I thought. They are (laughs) recycling old headlines because I see Laura Loomer standing next to several people who have now been jailed for sedition conspiracy at the January 6th insurrection. So yeah, culture not doing so hot. So yeah, so another right-wing culture website that has gone to internet heaven. Okay, Kelly, I think it's time for a check-in. It's been a little while. Let's check in on Elon Twitter. How is the Elonification of Twitter going? Well, it's right now, well, it's doing okay. I got my blue check. I'm on cloud nine. Nothing can touch my blue check. I'm so happy. (laughs) Oh, no, wait, because I think according to Elon, I am in the final days of having a blue check unless I pay $8 a month. This is part of a new proposal Elon has. He says that all the, quote, legacy blue checks, the ones that actually refer to verified accounts, they're going to go by the wayside on April 1st. I think it's a really auspicious date for all the verifiable accounts to suddenly be vanished. But he's really doubling down on this paid Twitter blue premise where the only people with blue checks are the ones who are shilling out money to him. This is an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, this has been threatened for a while, the elimination of the blue checks. And we're going to cover some other Elon changes as well. But the interesting thing here, the writer Ryan Broderick hit a good point here. So the initial idea was, okay, people can pay to have the blue checks. And then it sort of became a mark of shame to have a paid blue check because (laughs) it was like, you're a doofus who shells out eight bucks a month for Twitter. And then sometimes I still see people replying to something. And I'll say, well, this guy's a blue check. wonder what his deal is. And I'll click through and I'll be like, oh, this guy paid eight bucks. And so they were being mocked. And so now they're going to have an option to hide your paid blue check. So this idea of we're going to give everyone this status symbol and now it's like, oh, it's become so shameful. I've got to hide it. The other thing is, I think there is a broader move to 
make Twitter a paid-only site or a site that is essentially useless to use if you don't pay for it. Elon is tweeting that you're going to have to vote. You're going to have to be a blue check to vote in polls. You're going to have to pay for a blue check to be in the algorithmic for you feed, which is how a lot of stuff is getting surfaced now. It's kind of a bummer, I guess, is my take on it. It is a bummer, and it's so weird to me. I think this whole blue check brouhaha really kind of surfaced some pathos that I didn't know that people were necessarily laboring under. It's this idea that a lot of people on the right resent that journalists, even very minor figures, people working at local radio stations, stuff like that, that they have a blue check and that, hey, we don't. I'm a bigger deal than that guy. So when Elon started selling these $8 check marks, there was a real rush to them saying, hey, I've got the legitimacy of any of you in media shills or whatever. And that hasn't actually given them the sustenance they need, right? You've got the little blue check, but now so does everybody with 150 followers who wants to pay a not all that great amount to what was previously a free website. And so it's really interesting now to see the entire premise of a blue check change. It's no longer a symbol of verification. It's no longer saying that this is a noteworthy account and we need to prove that it is who it says it is. It's really a buy-in to, I think, an increasingly gauche sort of internet circle where even some people who've paid for it are saying, I don't know if I want to broadcast that about myself. Something that I think we can joke about paying for a blue check, whatever. I'm certainly not going to. I don't care if I have a blue check or not. But as someone who works in media and I think we've got to respond to breaking news situations, having a blue check or having official agencies have blue checks is actually really handy. Just yesterday, I was covering the Nashville shooting, and it was very nice to be able to look at the Nashville Police Department's updates. They were pretty prompt about it and see that, okay, yep, this is the actual Nashville Police Department. I can tell because they have a blue check rather than some clout goblin who has Nashville spelled with a one in his handle and is tricking people into thinking God knows what. So is he going to make maybe like tops two million from this idea? Okay, cool. But in the process, you're destroying any kind of credible news gathering potential for Twitter. It is bizarre. It's a very strange decision. They're supposed to be keeping this institutional blue check. So theoretically, you might say, oh, well, the National Police Department, for example, would just have that. However, you also have to pay for that. And I believe the numbers that are being quoted are something like $1,000. A thousand a month. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy. And it's funny whenever you comment on this, or more recently, William Shatner, who is not exactly a liberal, was tweeting, hey, I earned this blue check with all my good tweets. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> but And so then all these people are saying, look, Elon bought this site, man. He needs our money. The least we can do is help him keep it up with a couple bucks. It is truly, I feel like the Elon takeover of Twitter, I haven't loved it, but it has been just a fascinating look into the mind of an Elon Musk stan. And relatedly, Elon Musk himself is a fascinating figure in terms of how he wants Twitter to run. Now, we got some new reporting out that shows how he's requiring Twitter to artificially boost certain people. And I find that list absolutely fascinating. Kelly, can you tell me more about this? Yeah, absolutely. So this is reporting from the site platform where they do a really good job kind of giving the ins and outs of what's going on under Musk Twitter. And Twitter is, yes, artificially boosting certain power players on Twitter and some other folks who I would say are less newsworthy, but they seem to be on Elon Musk's good side. So among the more newsworthy fellows are LeBron James, Joe Biden, AOC, then some more, I would say, Musk world characters, Mark Andreessen, the venture capitalist. We've got the Tesla community account, Tesla owners, which... It's the Tesla owners of Silicon Valley. And the thing I want to highlight here is that they call themselves the most notorious Tesla owners club, I guess. 
<laughs> probably. <laughs> Although I have to say, that's probably whatever community you're in. That's probably not entirely. That's probably a pretty competitive category. I mean, famously, Eliza Blue, the woman who was accused of fabricating her claims of sex trafficking, who we covered in the past. She was big in her local Tesla owners club. So that is sort of a rogues gallery. I was on the road the other day. I was behind a Tesla with a license plate, Teslarati. And I'm like, I don't know what our problem is here, but I can guarantee you there's one. And those are some of the more, I don't know, less offensive characters on this list because there's some real bangers on here. My favorite artificially boosted person is the Twitter commentator, we'll say, Cat Turd. He is hugely popular pseudonymous Florida man who spends most of his time actually tweeting at Elon saying like, oh man, I've been ghost bands. Nobody's seeing my tweets anymore. And this shows that the opposite is true, that Elon actually has his thumb on the scale for cat turd and is doing everything he can so that you can see more cat turd tweets in your feed. One of the things that has sort of emerged, I would say the story of the last six months has been the Rasputin-like hold cat turd has on one of the most powerful <laughs> men in the world. Now, Rolling Stone's done a bit of reporting on old cat turd, and a lot of this was floating out there. I mean, this is a just kind of a random guy. He's had some bankruptcies. He's a, kind of a classic Florida man guy. He's a guy who gets on Twitter and spouts off about how much he loves Trump and all this stuff. The way that this man, he has this mystical hold on Elon. He tweets like, Elon, my tweets are not working today. I'm not getting enough engagement. And Elon's like, oh, God. <laughs> He's like, I'm working on it, Catherine. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fascinating. So this list to me, as you said, it offers this vision into Elon's ideal Twitter. Twitter is a place where... Okay, we got these kind of titanic world figures, Joe Biden, AOC, LeBron James. Then, as you said, some Silicon Valley people. There's kind of like Twitter comedy people, which I find interesting because we know Elon's always trying Twitter comedy. So we've got Drill. We've got the comedian Jabuki, who's all right. He's somewhat funny, I guess. Then we've got some kind of like contrarian journalists like Matty Glacius, Glenn Greenwald. We got basketball guy Woj. So we've got, and of course, we got Mr. Beast. We got the guy <laughs> who's doing Squid Game, right? And so we got this blend of people. We got Ben Shapiro. So I thought this was a very, very interesting list. And obviously, look, the most interesting one here is absolutely Cat Turd. And there's something, Cat Turd is unstoppable. Carpe Donctum wishes he reached Cat Turd levels. You know, this is a guy who, is he going to be a cabinet official? Stay tuned. I mean, because people just love his tweets. Getting a little off topic here. But Cat Turd just did a poll of his list of his readers on Twitter. And he said, who do you like, Trump or DeSantis? And Trump won handily. And then Trump said, there's a new poll out. Cat Turd polled his, they made a graphic of it. Oh, it's a new poll. And then you look at the source and it says, Cat Turd. Now, normally, these kind of polls, this is the level of credibility where it's like, which, you see these Instagram graphics where it's like, what's the favorite soup in each state? It's like chili con carne, <laughs> like broccoli cream. <laughs> and then you look and you're like, oh, that's I guess that's interesting. What's the source? Is this one of these things where they just look at relative search engine traffic? That's not very scientific. But no, you look and it's just one guy's Instagram followers. Anyways, I'm, this is kind of a pet peeve. But anyways, cat turd. He's unstoppable. Bet on Cat Turd, folks. Absolutely. Cat Turd University. Love their polling shop. If I could harp <laughs> on one more thing here, it's that this reporting shows that journalists like Glenn Greenwald and Matt Iglesias, sort of these contrarian figures, are getting this huge artificial boost, right? And I love it because certainly the Greenwalds of the world are the ones who are promoting things like the Twitter files, saying that Elon is ushering in this new era of transparency and that this is a huge rebuke to an era when Twitter was being pushed around by liberal messaging and 
big government. And well, Glenn, you're getting the juice straight from Elon. So it's a little hypocritical. Exactly. I mean, this idea that Elon is tweeting Twitter must be a fair space where there is no boosting. And as you say, all the Twitter file stuff. But but in fact, there is quite a lot of boosting going on. I'm glad we took this journey into Elon Twitter because these things sort of build up and then you just got to discuss it. If I could just tell a brief anecdote, I was out in California and I, I was getting my rental car at midnight. I had a normal gas engine car booked and they said, well, would you like a Tesla for 40 bucks more a day? And I said, no, absolutely not. And they said, well, bad news. Tesla's all we got, buddy. So perhaps interesting that the rental car lot was filled with Teslas no one wanted. So instead, they ended up hooking me up with another electric car. But I was just really irritated that they were threatening to make me learn all about Tesla after I'd flown across the country. So Elon, maybe a little more focus on the big company you got, maybe a little less focus on CatTurn. Okay, Kelly, who's our guest this week? This week, we have Luke O'Brien. He's an investigative journalist covering the far right. He's currently working at Harvard's Shorenstein Center, and he's reporting on the ongoing trial of the alt-right troll Douglas Mackey. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk with him. I mean, this is sort of a fascinating trial that has been turned into a cause celeb by many on the right even though Douglas Mackey, who folks may know as the Twitter persona, Ricky Vaughn, I mean, it's pretty explicitly an attempt at voter suppression. And there's also a bit of federal informant drama. It turned out this guy named Microchip, who was sort of an infamous alt-right figure, was working with the feds. So I'm excited. Absolutely. It's all the hits from the 2017 worst people on the internet. And I'm so glad to see them on the inside of a courtroom. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Fever dreams like all Daily Beast journalism exist because of the generous support of our subscribers, the people who pay for access to Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, exclusive ad-free newsletters, and our undying appreciation. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com to sign up. All right. We are joined by Luke O'Brien. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Fine, thanks. Thank you for having me on. Now, if I just can say here, Luke is the guy, he gets into the guts of this stuff. I mean, this is the guy who writes the profiles of all these nasty figures on the right. He's profiled all these right-wing trolls. He knows them backwards and forwards. He's written about Mike Cernovich, all these guys. So I'm so excited to have you on, Luke. Thank you very much, Will. So, Luke, you've spent the past week or so in a really interesting trial about a fellow named Douglas Mackey. Folks might remember him better as stage name Ricky Vaughn. Can you talk us through what's going on at that trial? Because it feels like a million years ago in far-right life cycles. Sure, it is actually a long time ago in far-right cycles. Ricky Vaughn is the troll handle for Douglas Mackey. He probably is better known by his troll pseudonym. And in 2016, he was a massive political influencer. This is a guy who's a white nationalist, has expressed all kinds of horrifically anti-Semitic and far-right extremist views. He's an advocate for global white supremacy. But in 2016, 
he was the most prominent far-right MAGA influencer on Twitter. And he had such an impact on the election that MIT, they have a media lab there that does these kind of analyses, determined that he had more of an effect on the election than NBC News and various other media outlets and prominent media figures. That's how big his Twitter account was. And at the time, he was walking this very fine line where he was kind of able to straddle the worlds of far-right extremism and mainstream conservative politics. He would launder these kind of boilerplate white nationalist talking points and ideas into the conservative discourse. All of this in service to helping Donald Trump get elected. Of course, in 2016, he was also engaged in allegedly election interference. And that is why he is in court now. He, in 2021, was arrested for federal election interference. And what he had done, allegedly, along with co-conspirators, is he created and pushed around these memes. Mainly, they were images designed to look exactly like Hillary Clinton campaign ads. And these people allegedly used their social media networks to spread these memes around that were intended to trick voters of color into throwing away their vote by casting it by text message. And apparently about 5,000 people actually voted by text. And the feds arrested Ricky Vaughn a few years ago, or Douglas Mackey, for this. And that is why he's in court right now. So this trial is a really fascinating one. It's kind of an unprecedented case because the federal government is taking a really hard look at how these social media meme warfare guys were manipulating platforms and trying to interfere allegedly with the election. And I think it is actually a test case that the government is using. And if it's successful, they could create precedent that they might be able to use to go after other bad actors on the far right. People might remember Ricky Vaughn. He's obviously taking this from the 1989 classic Major League. Charlie Sheen played the rascal wild thing, Ricky Vaughn. But this Ricky Vaughn, as you said, I mean, he was a very influential figure on the right. He was really well networked. I mean, he had a huge amount of followers. So it has been very interesting to see it turn out that he was breaking the law all along the way. Yes, allegedly. Because he's the jury has not come back with a decision yet. Uh, there's no doubt that he was spreading these memes around. So I think what is being decided in court right now is his intent. And Ricky Vaughn, Douglas Mackey, his defense is that this was just lulls. I was just kidding around. We were just doing this for shock value. But if you look at his communications and the feds have released quite a bit of the in-group chatter that Mackey was engaged in with some of his alleged co-conspirators, they have these DM rooms on Twitter that they set up where they kind of wargamed out these memes and how to deploy them most effectively. They are talking about trying to suppress black turnout for Hillary Clinton. They're talking about how to deprive American citizens of their votes. So, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about Mackey and this group of bad actors that he was associated with is how close they were, in fact, to the Trump campaign. Several members of this group had actual contact with the Trump campaign, were working with them at times. There are also some indication that Michael Flynn was connected to a lot of these people, Roger Stone, some of the people that Mackey was running around with in 2016 and beyond to a degree are some of the most prominent far-right influencers today, people like Jack Posobiec. 
So this is not some small fry operation. This was a very well-oiled, orchestrated scheme in 2016 to interfere with the election, allegedly. So there's a really fascinating case of one of those alleged co-conspirators coming up in this court case. This is a fellow named Microchip, and you have to call him Microchip because that's what they're actually calling him in court. He appears to have been an informant in the group. Can you walk us through who is this guy and what's he doing in court right now? Yeah, Kelly, he's actually being referred to as Mr. Microchip. Mr. Microchip. (laughs) That's Mr. Microchip to you. Yeah, which just kind of puts into sort of stark relief the absurdity of this, but also the danger of it when somebody like Microchip is sworn in as Mr. Microchip and is testifying from the stand under his troll pseudonym. I just find it, it's really such a telling kind of feature to this world that we cover where these guys... Their troll identity often becomes more real to them than their real selves because they're inhabiting it so many hours a day, often not leaving their apartments and just trolling constantly. So Microchip is a great example of that. He was essentially the botmaster for these networks of bad actors in 2016 and beyond. And from what the government has released in the Douglas Mackey trial, he appears to actually have been more of the ringleader in fact, than even Mackey, who had a giant megaphone that the bad guys wanted to take advantage of to push out their content. But Microchip is, I've been talking to him since 2017 in an ongoing conversation that has lasted right up until he basically was identified as the government's key star witness in the trial. So six years or so of going back and forth with this guy. And I can tell you that he is by far and away the smartest of these far right operatives that I have ever encountered. He is truly a devious individual and seemingly a gifted technologist as well, who really, really understands how to weaponize social media how to take advantage of these platforms to spread messages. So back in 2016 and again into 2017, even 28, he was he played an instrumental role in getting far right content to spread on social media and getting far right hashtags trending nationally on Twitter, which affected so much of the conversation politically, especially because that was Trump's platform of choice. And it's the platform where journalists hang out on. And a lot of the strategy was just to stoke chaos, stoke outrage, bring attention to these far right ideas, talking points, which were often smuggled inside of humor or memes. And to then get an unsuspecting media at the time in particular to bite on a lot of this stuff and quote far right accounts or just even write stories about This crazy hashtag is trending again on Twitter, and that spreads the message even wider. So these were all strategies that Microchip had studied, clearly. He'd mastered them, and he's a very, frankly, he's a very charming, persuasive individual. So he was in a lot of these different groups on different platforms, dropping messaging in, dropping memes in, orchestrating a lot of this sort of nefarious activity on social media that was designed to undermine our democracy. It's interesting because, I mean, this is a guy who was, like Ricky Vaughn, such a big deal on the MAGA internet in 2016. And so the idea that he's a federal informant is fascinating. I mean, has this just sent shockwaves through the internet far right? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, I have a few sources who have we're in the far right, we're trying to get out of the far right, but we're part of this whole kind of meme, meme warfare operation back in the day. 
And they say that everybody has just turned on microchip and they're terrified as well. And they should be, frankly, because this guy really was in, his tentacles were everywhere. They were in almost every single major private room on most platforms where people were plotting and scheming in the far right. And so if he has preserved data, and I think that he probably has given his technical proficiency, that is just an absolute goldmine for the government if they're investigating similar alleged crimes to what Mackey's standing trial for. And I think even beyond that, because to go back to what I said about this network of operatives having connections to the Trump campaign, there's possible foreign influence that is involved here. A lot of these accounts were amplifying or being amplified by Kremlin-controlled internet research agency accounts, probably even sitting in chat rooms with them and cooking up schemes. So I just hope the feds know what they're looking at, right? Because when you get into the, you really have to get into the weeds on this stuff to understand what's going on and think that the government is having to play catch up a little bit here. They've been behind the curve in terms of essentially what I view as a psyops, a massive psyops that was run by these far right bad actors using social media. I mean, psychological warfare conducted on American citizens. I think that's how we need to view this. So Douglas Mackey, he's a white supremacist, but his case has been kind of a cause celeb from the Tucker Carlson's of the world. Can you explain like how Tucker is spinning this on his primetime show? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Doug Mackey is just a regular conservative guy who is being crucified now and persecuted by the deep state. So Tucker Carlson is using this whole meta narrative about the Department of Justice being weaponized by liberals or Democrats, which is laughable, frankly, or certainly the FBI being weaponized by liberals to go after just regular conservatives for practicing free speech. So he's holding up Doug Mackey as a free speech martyr because it makes political hay on the right. And you're seeing other people, other prominent right wingers like Marjorie Taylor Greene has made a big deal out of this trial as well. She even brought it up at Trump's rally in Waco the other day. She gave a little preliminary speech and she mentioned Doug Mackey. I think she even sent a letter to Merrick Garland about the case and telling Garland he needs to resign. So, of course, it's interesting when you're in the court, none of these people are there. None of the right-wing junk media sites that are doing the same thing as Tucker Carlson have anyone there covering the trial. I mean, they're just using it for propaganda purposes. So it's alarming. It's, it's quite alarming to see someone as prominent as Tucker Carlson weaponizing something like this. I mean, it is really remarkable when you compare the language that's being used to defend Doug Mackey in conservative media by these figures, a member of Congress, as you said. And then when you compare, I mean, this is a white supremacist who's trying to suppress minority voters. I mean, and what does that say about them that they are so committed to this guy? I mean, just a couple more examples here. I mean, they're casting this as sort of like memes or not illegal. This is an innocent memester. Charlie Kirk, for example, the Biden DOJ is trying to criminalize memes. The left can't meme, but they can throw you in prison. His group, Turning Point USA, it was matching donations of up to $10,000 to his legal defense fund. I mean, it is not only just that they're using this for propaganda, but it says something very ominous about them that they're making common cause with this guy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Ricky Vaughn, his main role in 2016, Douglas Mackey as Ricky Bond, was to red pill normie conservatives. He was radicalizing Republicans to extremism, and he was very effective at that. So what we're seeing now, years on, is kind of a byproduct of that effort that he played a role in, which is we've got radicalized members of Congress 
that are rushing to defend him. This is Jewish space lasers, Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? And we've got the most popular, most watched cable news host in American history who has pushed the great replacement theory and basically spewed out white nationalist talking points on his show. Also defending Doug Mackey, who literally is an advocate for global white supremacy. So I think that the takeaway is that a large swath of the Republican base has been radicalized in a way that this kind of been normalized, where Doug Mackey can be seen as a victim here. He's not a victim at all. And it's really concerning. I'd also add that he's not just a free speech martyr for these people, but this case is frightening to anyone who wants to use social media to push the same things that Mackey did, to radicalize, to push disinformation and propaganda for political purposes. That's why we've seen this kind of bad faith attack on social media companies by certain Republican politicians over the years where, you know, it's all about censoring conservative speech, which we know is not really a valid argument when it comes to how social media companies operate and what content they take down or not. It's not the government deciding who gets to speak or not on Twitter. A lot of that bad faith attack is designed to just allow unfettered right wing propaganda to spread on social media because it is effective politically. So Doug Mackey is also kind of a an avatar of that burgeoning trend in our politics over the years. And so protecting him is important. You mentioned like right wing junk sites, and there's been a lot of involvement or at least insinuations from the likes of a Jack Kosobiec about this trial. It seems like they're implying they have a man on the inside or that they might have access to court transcripts that they shouldn't. Can you just explain how the really far right media is sticking its fingers in this case? Yeah, well, as we've already discussed, they've kind of held up Doug Mackey as this just innocent, regular conservative who's being persecuted by the Department of Justice for liberal reasons. But they've also drilled down a little more in the case and tried, they've tried to cast doubt on microchip as the government's star witness. Posobiec seems especially concerned about the case. And the reason why is because he was working with Doug Mackey. Perhaps I don't have any evidence that he was working with Doug Mackey on the alleged federal election interference, but they were certainly running in the same circles. They were in the same, a lot of the same chat rooms. Microchip himself confirmed that for me years ago. So a lot of these people who are purporting to cover the trial at these far right sites were somehow connected directly to Doug Mackey when he was allegedly doing his bad deeds. Posobiec got a hold of Yes, an unauthorized court transcript. It had not been made available to the public yet. I'm not sure how that happened. I have a theory about that, but it's just a theory. It had to have come from someone who did have access to the court transcript. It didn't come from the court reporter. So it must have been an attorney in the case. And one would suspect Doug Mackey's attorney is the one who gave that to Pasobic. But they've used that to smear me and try to attack the legal proceedings as biased. Yes. So, Luke, I mean, I mean, this transcript is the attorneys claiming you're making faces at Doug Mackey. What's the reality of that? Yeah, well, it wasn't Doug Mackey. It was, look, it was microchip. I wasn't making faces at him. You got to understand, I've been talking to this guy for six years. I've been trying to find out who he was for six years. I had a theory about who he was, a very good theory based on a lot of reporting and a lot of evidence but I'd never actually laid eyes on him before. And he walked into the court 
under heavy FBI guard, by the way, wearing a Smurf blue tracksuit and shower <laughs> shoes. Okay. And he's a large man and he got up on the stand and he just kicked back, almost had a leg up on the witness stand. He was leaning back and just kind of casual as could be, almost gloating. He's a very amusing guy. And so he was up there kind of, he had the jury in stitches at points. He had the judge cracking up. So I was just sitting in the front row, just grinning. I was grinning because he was funny. But I was also grinning because this is six years of my life, six years of reporting. And here's the guy finally in the flesh. And I was just kind of I don't know. I was tickled to see him in person, to be honest with you. But I guess the judge interpreted my smiling as some sort of effort to get his attention, even though he was grinning right back at me. I mean, he knows who I am. The judge doesn't understand the dynamics here between the journalist and source, right? And I was just in the front row grinning. She got a little upset. And then they had a sidebar, which is when the attorney's go over and whisper things in private that the observers and the jury can't hear and they turn on a white noise machine. And sometimes in some courts, that stuff gets redacted from the transcript. The court reporters will redact it. I guess in the Eastern District of New York, they don't. So Jack Pacific got a hold of this transcript that has the sidebar conversation in it. And in that, I come up, the judges notes that I am making faces at the witness, which I wasn't. I was just literally just taking notes, taking it all in, just smiling. I couldn't stop grinning. She let the court know that this is not appropriate. Don't be trying to make eye contact with the witness. And I put my mask on after that. So my grin would be concealed. That's the story there. I wasn't kicked out of court. I think Basobic is claiming I was kicked out of court. Some of these far right people are are saying the judge booted me from court. It really wasn't that big a deal. Well, Luke, if they're saying that microchip or rather Douglas Mackey is arrested for memes, we're going to go to bat for you and say that you cannot be arrested for smiling. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're acquitted of contempt of podcast court here. I'll be a smiling martyr. Yes. One final question for you. Since we've been talking about Jack Posobiec here, I mean, a fascinating character. Maybe not that fascinating, honestly. He just makes stuff up. I mean, this is a guy constantly making stuff up, but very influential. I was really struck by a recent Dave Weigel article in semaphore where they sort of looked at the right-wing influencers ahead of the primary and jack posobic stands alone as sort of like the most trusted figure on the right-wing internet they describe him as a powerful narrative shaping voice they said he's the modern day george will i mean oh, this good. like my eyes were bleeding reading that as someone who has dealt with jack posobic and has followed him for a while i mean what does it say about the state of right-wing media and the conservative movement more broadly that this guy is seen as like the tribune of truth well it's all bad. I mean, <laughs> alternate name for the podcast. Yes. <laughs> the fact that that has come to pass, I think, just shows the dire state that the political right is in. This guy is a liar. He is a almost a pathological liar. He has worked with neo-Nazis actual neo-Nazis, including one who wanted to blow something up and another one who killed himself when the FBI was closing in on him. He has been pushing just raw Kremlin propaganda since at least 2016. This is probably the last person that you would want to look to for anything factual, any sort of truth telling. I mean, he is just a pure propagandist and disinformation specialist. So I think what it says is just really that in the era of social media, when gatekeepers have been had their necks cut by some of these far right operatives without some sort of like 
I guess, internal check or some sort of moral compass within a political party, somebody like Jack Posobiec is going to rise to the top because he's been aided by the social media platforms, which have made money off of his account. He spreads a message that is useful to nationalist, populist candidates like Trump, who just had him in Mar-a-Lago just the other day, just had dinner with him. I mean, this guy is like just a jumped up goon, basically, who has been elevated to this position of incredible prominence because of the complicity of Twitter in particular with the growth of extremism in the United States. And I think that is the bigger story here about Jack Posobiec and about our politics. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do about these social media companies that keep allowing this to happen? I don't know. I mean, it's all very worrisome. So. Well, Luke, thank you so much for coming through. This is fascinating. We're watching this case closely and best of luck. I hope you keep smiling. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be smiling more than George will. So. <laughs> and finally, Fresh Hell. Will, you have been following Benny Johnson's, he's breaking free. He's striking it out on his own. What is going on there? Benny Johnson's gone Hollywood, baby. We're making the big bucks. <laughs> so Benny Johnson is a guy who has had a sort of fascinating career, even by the standards of conservative media, where people are always up and down and in and out and what have you. So Benny Johnson, folks may remember, used to work for BuzzFeed. He was BuzzFeed's sort of token conservative guy. He would write these genuinely just incredibly inane stories where, for example, after the Fort Hood shooting, he went oh, out God. there and you might expect like a big, big thinker on the grieving and what have you. And instead, he just drove around Fort Hood and he was like, they have a McDonald's, just like in the regular world. It was a shooting and he just, I don't know that he interviewed anybody. He was just there to review the snack options. He just drove around. It was insane. And then... Here's the real shocker. It turned out that these terrible articles he had were plagiarized. He couldn't even write them himself. So he was disgraced. And then he landed at the Independent Journal Review, which is a sort of who knows what it is anymore. It's a big soup of mess and right wing sort of wants to be like the right wing media, I guess. And he was disgraced from there. <laughs> And accused of plagiarizing and yelling at his employees. Then he kind of went full conservative pundit mode. And what's interesting about that is like really being a sort of conservative quasi journalist is life on easy mode already. But that was too hard. And so then he went to Newsmax. He's affiliated with TPUSA and he does these insane. This guy in his 30s now, he has kids. He comes out and he does these videos where he's like, We got the memes. <laughs> he's like, You guys know Grumpy Cat? And so, anyways. Now he had a Newsmax show and he has a podcast, but Benny keeps, he's really on a hot street. It's kind of incredible. Elon is engaging with him a lot. Benny just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so now he says to Newsmax, he says, I'm going independent. And he tweets, I'm taking the podcast. I'm ditching Newsmax. Let's make the big bucks. I mean, he doesn't quite say that, but that's what he means. And so for me, number one, this underlines this trend of these conservative media figures, like in the media in general, more of them going independent, more of them. I think about Steven Crowder, who was gravely insulted when Ben Shapiro only offered him $80 million <laughs> over three years. And now we've got Benny going independent. But for me, what I'm just fascinated about is how Benny launched his independent career. So Benny, he's a guy who loves stunts. And so he goes to the Department of Transportation office in D.C. and he sets up outside and he says, and this is kind of like a stunt he's stolen from other places anyway, but I guess, I mean, this is a guy who loves to plagiarize, right? What can you say? <laughs> and so he has, gets a bottle of water and it's not even from East Palestine, but 
he writes East Palestine water on it. He's offering them the water. And so it's to be this point, I guess, that Pete Buttigieg won't come out and be like, glug, glug, glug. This is good water, right? Is he trying to do a reverse Aaron Brockovich where he tells them it's the water in the first place? Oh, you know what, Kelly? That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, this guy can't come up with his own idea. It's crazy. So he's doing this, but then things get a little bit better. I sort of think this was a bit of a dud, right? Kelly, first of all, what do you make of this stunt? I mean, listen, I actually have been talking to people in East Palestine and they're, they do have an issue with right-wing grifters coming around, right? And not just the Benny Johnsons, but actual right-wing groups trying to pass out a couple water bottles with like a Patriot Front brand or something on it. It's, it's just deeply, deeply cynical. But Benny Johnson has realized that this is a contentious place where you can maybe hit a Pete Buttigieg. And to see him go here and rather than report, just try some gotcha stunt, it makes me think he doesn't really have what it takes to be that gonzo journalist. Would it change your mind if I told you that he found a completely blurred out man who may or may not exist? So Benny claims that during this stunt, a Department of Transportation employee came up to him and said, oh, Benny, it's so much worse than you know. In fact, Pete Buttigieg won't let us give money to red states. We can only give them to blue states. And East Palestine was set up by the government to kill people because they're Trump supporters. This is all an elaborate scandal. Now, this happens. This man is completely blurred out, not just his face, his entire form. His voice is covered up. Do I think this guy is a plant by Benny? I don't know for sure. But I will say his ethical track record isn't in his favor here. So, What's fascinating to me about this guy is Benny says he runs with this and he says, Pete Buttigieg wants to kill red states. We've got a DOT whistleblower. What's fascinating to me about this is James O'Keefe is above this kind of stuff. This is James O'Keefe, at least he has a whistleblower. And usually it's like the guy who cleans the camera lenses at CNN. And then he'll say like from deep inside CNN, Jeff Zucker, he's trying to get Trump in prison. And so Benny just says, yeah, this guy walked up to me on the street and I said, yeah, sure. Why not? That's good enough. Blur him out. Let's run it. So I think... While disappointing to me in terms of Benny's behavior here, I do think it suggests he has a very strong career in conservative media ahead of him. Absolutely. That's all people want here is the blurry man telling them some comforting information. So listen, James O'Keefe also going independent. It'll be great to see these two heavy hitters really duke it out in the in the journalism field. When the elephants fight, the grass suffers. And that's what I'm worried <laughs> about here is that we're going to have two big dogs tearing it up. It is just how low the bar has gotten. It used to be, like I said, you get someone to tangentially related to it on a hidden camera and then you think well that person really wouldn't know anything about this topic and then but you run with it right but this benny just got a guy on the street and he said yeah sure why not that's good enough i saw this getting a lot of traction online last night i think soon enough benny cat turd we've really talked about all the leading lights of right-wing journalism today on that note Let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer, and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.